How's everybody tonight? Good. Good to see you. Glad that you're here. As long as that manifests into your life, we're good. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hello, Barbara. We're glad you're there tonight. Glad that you could connect with us. And hello to everybody else out there on, um, on uh, social media, on live stream, on podcasts. We're glad that you could join together with us tonight and, settle and get, gather around the Word of God because the Word of God can change us. Yeah. Isn't that right? You know, we were talking about how the Word of God can be spoken and somebody here can get it. I mean, get it in their heart get it into their mouth, get it into their life. And somebody over here just don't seem to get any place with it. But it's not about what was said or how it was said. It's about where the person is when you hear what was said. Whether you're on the side of the road, whether you're in your emotions, whether you're caught up in the chaos of the world, or whether the seed gets into the good soil of understanding. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is so good. We're so glad that Barbara is doing so well, doing so good. Glory to God. And um, God has just been so good. And God is faithful, you know. Amen. She's not home yet, but continue to pray. And, uh, you know, you ought to pray for one another anyway. Whether there's something going on in our life or not, you should remember to pray for the body. Isn't that right? Amen. Especially because, you know, when we're one body, we're all joined one to the other. So when you pray for others, you're praying for yourself. Amen. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory for you alone are worthy, Lord. There is none like you. You're the glorious king, the mighty God, the everlasting Lord. You're worthy and deserving of all praise and all adoration. Oh, Father, we lift you up today. We give you first place in our hearts. We set ourselves to hear from heaven and what the Spirit is saying to us today. Lord, that we would take that word and get it into our heart and put it in our mouth and get it into our life, that we'll have the manifestations of what your word declares, that we'll be the living word living on this earth. Father, I thank you for the anointing that comes on the word that removes burdens, destroys yokes, that revelation is imparted into our heart because we get ourselves into position to hear from you. And as revelation is imparted, the power of hell cannot stand against it. And I thank you, Lord, that we are, according to your word, more than conquerors and overcomers in this life, conforming to the image of Jesus, growing and developing in your divine nature. Because that is what makes everything else work. We thank you for it, Father. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it's not just about having what God has. It's about being who God is. Amen. Partaking of his life and his nature. Hallelujah. Open with me this evening to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 20 and 21. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. It says, yet, talking about Abraham, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, 
But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform it. Hallelujah. He grew strong and was strengthened in faith. And how does faith come? By hearing the word. And we know the word is truth. The word is truth. So he was strengthened in faith and he's strengthening in the truth of the word of God. And not only is he being strengthened in faith, but he's being strengthened by his faith and being strengthened by the truth. Isn't that right? You know, God will always bless in proportion to our faith. It is a principle of the kingdom of God. You cannot get around it. He blesses according to the proportion of our faith. He said it many times, be it done unto you according to your faith. Your faith has made you well. Isn't that right? You know, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. When Jesus comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, he's looking for faith, and it's faith that receives from God. God is not a God of partiality, that he likes one person more than another. He has favor on one person and not on another. Oh, you need to work a little harder, but for you, I'll make it a little easier. No, God is not partial. Faith. Faith receives. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. His faith, Abraham's faith, did not waver, and that growing faith is what gave glory to God. And also his glorifying God is what gave strength and made him steady in faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says that through faith and endurance, we inherit the promises. And faith is a masculine word, and endurance is a feminine word. And you know... Through faith and endurance, the promise is conceived and birth. Okay? So just like any natural conception, there is a man and a woman. Amen? So therefore, the man, the masculine, is faith, and the feminine is endurance. Well, who endures in a pregnancy? The woman. And when the woman isn't tired of enduring, who does she run to? The husband. Why? Because the feminine runs to the masculine or the endurance runs to the faith. That when you get tired of standing, you run back to your faith. Yeah. And what did faith tell you? And faith will then strengthen you to continue to stand and go the distance until there is a birth. Amen. And God wants to birth his promises in you, for you, and through you. Hallelujah. So he was, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform it. Hallelujah. You know, this was a huge challenge for Abraham. The older he got, the more challenging it became. Isn't that right? But yet Abraham remained steadfast in faith until he got to the point to where he was fully persuaded. When there is no contest that goes on in our life, when there's no struggle, when there's no battle, it is true that nobody denies, oh, God can do all things. You could sit here in this room and just, oh, yes, God, we, you know, God can do anything. Nothing's impossible with God. Isn't that right? 
But then as soon as problems come along, as soon as something comes along that wants to try to impede the course of God's promise, what God had said, and all of a sudden obstacles come along, some will cast down God's power from its place of eminence. Why? Because they're not fully persuaded. So we're going to look at Abraham's life tonight. And we're going to go down that road that, like Abraham, we can get to the place to where we are fully persuaded. Amen. So let's start over in Genesis chapter 11. Hello, Pedro. Glad you could be here tonight. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Genesis chapter 11, verses 31 and 32. It says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so at this point, Abram leaves Ur with his father and with Lot, his nephew. Now, it explains it more over, in fact, go over there and look at it in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, when Stephen is giving his discourse out on the street where the religious leaders hated it. They gnashed their teeth at him. They could not stand against the wisdom he had, so they just killed him. Isn't that right? But before he went, he saw Jesus leaning over the balcony. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. And here it says, and he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. That's where what we just read before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. And he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. So it started off there in, in, in Genesis chapter 11. And although it doesn't say it, Stephen brings it out that God spoke to Abraham. And this is why they've all left now the land of Ur. Okay, so go back over to Genesis 11. So they've left Ur, they came to Haran, and his father dies there. So then we go to chapter 12 of Genesis, and let's read verses 1 through 4. And it says, And the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so sh you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. How old was he when he left Mesopotamia, the land of Ur? 70 years old. So he started at 70, and now he's leaving here, and he's 75 years old, okay? So he, his father died, so where they were living now, he's left there, 
and he leaves. God says, leave your father's house and your relatives, but he takes Lot with him. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that right? Yeah. Verses 5 through 7. You see, besides noting the good things and the right things that Abram did, you ought to note the wrong things he did. Because if you don't note the wrong things he did, you will do the same wrong things. And things will go quicker and better if you avoid the wrong things. When he said, leave your relatives, he meant Lot. <laughs> Lot was a relative. Well, dear God, I can't leave them. You know, I just can't do it. Okay, it's up to you. I'm telling you, you choose. So Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Pretty quick. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. And now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Okay, so God promises Abram land and descendants, promises them both, right? So you know that a famine had occurred in Canaan and they set out to Egypt. So in verses 11 through 20, he's coming to Egypt and he's got Lot and his wife with him. And it says in verse, uh, I'm going to read 11 through 20. And it came about that when he came near to Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me. <laughs> but they will let you live. So please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. That's the father of faith, glory to God. <laughs> That's one of those things not to do. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, he's the father of faith because he was the opening for the Savior to come into the world. Isn't that right? So after this whole debacle takes place in Egypt, he went back to Canaan. But he left with all the goods of Egypt. Pharaoh gave him everything. 
didn't he? Amen. Chapter 13, verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. I guess so. You got it all from the Egyptians because of your sister. Five and six. Now, Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. So both of them are quite wealthy. Okay, Lot gets wealthy because he's riding on Abram's coattails. And he's get, they're wealthy because of what the Egyptians had given them. I mean, they had stuff from when they left Haran, but now the Egyptians gave them all kinds of stuff, so they're increasing in wealth. All right, and the land cannot sustain them. Verse 7 through 10. Now there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite was dwelling then in the land. That's very important. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. Okay, so... Go back to verse 8 for a minute. So we know Abram and Lot had to separate. And Abram said, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. But if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Right? You know, you got to do what you got to do to get out of strife. Stress, strife, anger, it's a killer. And you got to get whatever you need to do to get out of strife. Get away from it. Isn't that right? Because if you get away from it, it'll open the door to the Lord. Now, what, I'm sorry, verse 9, I think it was. Was it 9? No, uh, it's probably 7. <laughs> Thank you. So there was strife. Now notice what he said here. The Canaanite and the Perizzite was dwelling in the land. Why did he say that? Why did he put that in there? Because if they remained in strife, the Canaanite and the Perizzite would have destroyed them. You're living in a world and a place that wants to destroy you, and you must do what you need to do to shut that door. And it's not about getting your way. To get your way, you might have to get in strife and fight for it, and you'll open the door to the enemy, and you'll get what you want, and the enemy will come and rob it all, and then he'll come and destroy things in your life at the same time. Strife, anything, whatever it takes, get away from it. Yeah, well, you know, I can't just, uh, that's pride. And the reason you have pride is because you don't trust God. Abram said, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. But if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It didn't matter to Abram. Why? Because he knew whichever way he went, the promises of the, of the Lord were going to go with him. It did not matter to him. He was not out to get his way, like a lot of people are. And they'll call it God. 
and it's just strife. He understood. God made a promise. God will not go back on his promise. Therefore, it doesn't matter to me which way I go. The promise goes with me. Just like Joseph. Joseph got sold into slavery, got sold into Egypt. Oh, God sent them to Egypt. God didn't send them to Egypt. His brothers sent them to Egypt. They sold them into slavery. That was not God's plan to sell them into slavery. And God's plan is not for you to be in bondage and be a slave so that God could get what he wants. The reason that he was raised to such a high place in Egypt was because the promise of God followed Joseph. And wherever Joseph went, he would have been raised up in that promise. You got to get out of that religious thinking and start thinking like the word of God because the word is truth. Amen. Hallelujah. So Abram didn't need to fight and struggle over stuff. Whatever way you want to go, go your way. What did Lot do? Lot moved by what he saw. He saw the valley. He saw it was well watered. And he said, I'm going to go there because this looks really good. Where did Abram go? He went into the plan and purpose of God. Amen. 14 through 18. Whatever it takes, stay in the plan and the purpose of God and stay out of strife. The Lord said to Abram now, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. 18. And then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Lift up your eyes from the place where you're at. Stop running someplace to try to make it better. You'll never get anything better until you lift up your eyes from the place you're at and get your eyes off of where you're at. Amen. And then he has them walk throughout the whole land. He says, as far as you can see, I'll give it to you, north, south, east, and west. Now walk along, um, walk, walk in the land, right? What is God doing? He's getting Abram to look, to see, to walk. If you can number the dust of the earth, you'll be able to number your descendants. What is he doing? He's getting him to use his imagination. He's getting him to look and see, getting a visual of things. You know, there's nothing wrong with using your imagination. It's part of meditating on the word of God. That if you're meditating on healing, you see yourself healed. You see what you do if you're healed. You see what you do if you're able to do whatever. You can see yourself doing those things. If I had, oh, I'm believing God for a certain amount of money. What do you see yourself doing? Do you imagine yourself doing that? Do you build that up on the inside of you? If I could have peace in my life, what do you see yourself? How do you see it? What are you imagining about that? 
God wants you to use your imagination. He's telling Abram these things so that he can look, he can see, he can lift up his eyes, get it off of where he's at. Look at the big picture, Abram. It's more than where you're standing. Amen. Hallelujah. Stay free from the world system and the promises will continue to flow. Lot's walking right into the world system. But you got to stay free from that. What does it tell us in Corinthians about separating yourself? Separating yourself. You got to separate yourself from the world. Because as much as you think as, you're, as you are Mr. or Miss Faith Giant, the world will drag you down. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. Amen. You know, so you got to know and separate yourself. Now, you can be with people for the purpose of witnessing to them, sharing Jesus with them. Well, you ain't looking to buddy up with them. Are you with me? Amen. Genesis 14, verse 14. And I know that that's hard for a lot of people. But the reason it's hard is because you let your emotions get in the way instead of meditating on the truth. Because the truth will make you from what? Your emotions. The truth will make you free from your emotions. Because the more emotionally attached you are to something, the harder it is to make the change. Genesis 14, 14. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, what relative is this? Troubled Lot. <laughs> so when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men born in his house. 318, big house. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. So Lot was taken captive. This is the Lot that God told Abram to leave. But he took Lot with him. There was strife. Abram got away from that. Now Lot's taken captive. So Lot is kind of like a yoke on Abram's neck. Isn't that right? Verse 17 through 20. And after his return from the defeat of Shedoleoma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a, a tenth of all. Okay? So what we see here is that he returned from that war. He won. He got Lot back, right? And then Melchizedek comes out to meet him. He brings the covenant elements with him. And Abram brings the tithe because it's the covenant of the tithe. And the tithe came into existence long before the law. The tithe is not a part of the law. Oh, well, the, you know, the tithe's in the Old Testament. Well, it is in the New Testament, too, but, you know, people want to say it's in the Old Testament, and, you know, well, so was the 
announcement of Jesus. So maybe we should do away with him too. There is a covenant that goes along with tithing. It's part of the Abrahamic covenant, not the Levitical covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant, the father of faith. You want to be blessed like Father Abraham? Then you got to do what Father Abraham does. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter, uh, where are we at here? No, verse 21 through 24. It says, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours for fear that you would say I have made Abram rich. And I will take nothing except what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, Anah, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their share. Okay, so Abram refused the king's reward. Why? Because he wanted to stay right with God. You say, well, he could do that because he was wealthy. No, he could do that because he reverenced God. Chapter 15, verse 1. So after he refuses the king's reward, we go to chapter 15. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So Abram refuses the king's rewards. But the Lord said, I am your exceedingly great reward. God is greater than anything the world has to offer. There is no reason to compromise anything from the kingdom of God for anything in the world. Amen. Not even for your own emotions or your own physical body. How many times have you said, well, you know, I know they got church going on, but I'm just tired. We all get tired. So what are you going to do about it, faith man? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to succumb to something or are you going to step in faith? Oh, yeah, we can't stay late for church. You know, we got kids. Well, we had kids. We stayed late all the time. Yeah, but we have jobs. Well, we had jobs. We always had jobs. We always had kids. We had a lot of stuff going on besides church. But we knew that all that stuff going on out there was never going to change without getting what we needed to get right. in the word of God right. under the anointing. Amen. We knew that. We weren't the smartest knife in the drawer. I mean, the sharpest knife in the drawer. You got a smart knife? It's on your iPhone, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> but we did know nothing in life was going to change without the word. So therefore, everything gets put away and put down to hear the word. 
the God is our exceedingly great reward. He is greater than anything that the world could ever offer us. We do not compromise anything for the world's goods. Because the world's goods, they just ain't really good. <laughs> Verses 2 to 6. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay, so Abram says to God, listen, I know you're telling me about offspring and all this stuff. I've got no offspring, so one born in my house is going to have to be the heir. But God said, no, there's going to be seed, and it comes from you. Isn't that right? You cannot reason your way into the promises of God. You cannot logically figure the promises of God. You cannot. See, this is the world, and you cannot do this. You cannot say things like, well, since I understand it, I can believe it. No, you only believe yourself. You don't believe God. You believe yourself because you have to get the understanding logically of how and what. And when I understand this logically, then I'll believe. Well, you're not believing God. You believe in yourself. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, yes, I understand that. I have a logical reasoning of how this is all going to work. No, she just believed what he said. Because her faith wasn't in herself. Her faith was in what the word of the Lord said. Are you with me? The things of God is not logical, and I'm not saying God's illogical, but it's not about the logic of our mind. It's not about reasoning. It's not about uh, a theological summary of how things are going to operate. None of that. It's belief. Amen. Hallelujah. If we are trying to reason our way into the promises of God, we're on the side of the road the first person in the parable of the sower. You're on the side of the road. You hear it. You can see it. You, you, you know, you, you have a logical understanding of it, but it's not in your heart. It's not in you. So therefore, you're on the side of the road thinking you have it. But you don't. You're on the side of the road. You're not on the path. Does that make sense to you? What does side-of-the-road thinking produce in your life? Counterfeits. Look-alikes. He said to Abram, go out and look at the stars of the sky. If you can count them, your seed will be even greater. Isn't that right? What is he doing again? Imagination. Senses are getting involved. Look, 
see, know what I'm saying. Understand the magnitude of what I'm telling you here. Verse 7 and 8. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That was back in chapter 11. To give you this land to possess it. And he said, oh, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So Abram wants to know how he's going to know. And, and you know the account. God has him to bring the, the animal pieces and all and cuts them and everything. And God then enters into a covenant of blood with Abram. Right? Because we know that without blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And it's the covenant of blood. Verse 18. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. You know, that's a lot bigger piece of property than you see Israel living in today. From the river of Egypt all the way up to the river of Euphrates, which is in Syria. This is a massive piece of property for Israel which they only own a tiny percentage today. And they're still trying to chase them out of there. God did not have to explain to Abram what covenant is all about. Abram knew exactly what covenant was about. God knew, of course, what covenant was about. They both understood covenant. Amen. And... Um, God made covenant and said, this is your land from the river of Egypt up until the great river of Euphrates. From Egypt to Syria was their land. From the Mediterranean all the way into parts of Syria. That was part of their land. That was all their land. Amen. Chapter 16. Yes, Barbara, wow is right. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid, and perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram said, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> you notice Abram is like, he's not like, you know, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what God said. No, he's like, I think you're right. Maybe, maybe not, but let's give it a go. You know? <laughs> this is the father of faith. <laughs> So what is Sarah doing? Sarai is reasoning, trying to produce the promise. And what do you get? You're on the side of the road. You're in your reasoning, trying to get the promise. What do you get? A counterfeit. Ishmael.
Well, let's face it. The Lord said to Abram, this child will come from your body. Okay, me and Hagar, I'm involved. This is the promise of God. So, of course, we know that that is a mess, and it's created a mess in the world. It was a whole debacle with Hagar. Ishmael was produced, and we have a counterfeit that wants all the promises of God because of being the offspring of Abraham. Isn't that right? Chapter 17, verse 1. You know, it'd be good to go through all this from Genesis 11 all the way through and just read the whole thing. We're just kind of picking up on certain things tonight. It says, now, when Abram was 99 years old. Now, when did God first appear to Abram? How old was he? 70 years old. Now he's 99 years old. So guess what? If you couldn't believe God at 70 years old at offspring, you're really having a hard time at 99. Huh? So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, this, now, now we know chapter 16 talked about what happened with Hagar. But this here in 17, verse 1, is four years after the Hagar incident. So after Abram thinks Hagar's a good idea, God goes, I ain't talking to him anymore. And he doesn't talk to him for like four years. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Let's read all the way on to verse 8. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting, everlasting, everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Now go back to verse 6 for a minute. And I wanted to show you how reasoning is your enemy. God comes to you and says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. What does that mean to you? I mean, you're going to have a lot of kids, right? But that's not what he was talking about. How many kids did Abram have? One. Well, one real one and one counterfeit one. Yeah. He had one. Okay? Him and Sarah had one. So... If God said to us, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful, we'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Oh, my God, oh, I got to, oh, geez, I don't know if I can handle this. And, you know, I, this is a lot. And 
You just run yourself down a road about stuff that you don't even understand. This is why you can't rely on that head. You know what we say about the head, the mind, right? It's a what? It's a dead head. <laughs> it doesn't understand the things of God. The carnal mind cannot know the things of God. God comes to us and tells us something, and we jump right up into our reasoning and, th and think, I can figure this all out. I know how this is going to work. I know what this is going to be. Oh, man, I'm going to have a lot of kids. i got to start planning. i got to start getting these things in order. i got one. Because <laughs> when God speaks, he don't look at you. He looks at generations. When God moves in the gifts of the Spirit, he's not looking at you. He's looking at generations. The mind of God, who can know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width. There is so much in the mind of God of what he sees. And we've got this little thing between our ears thinking we can figure it all out. Because the devil has raised us to think we are God ourselves. Amen. So. God, again, reiterates his promises. Land, possessions, offspring. Land, possessions, offspring. Land, possessions, offspring. That was the promise of God to Abram. Isn't that right? And now he's changing his name. He's expanding Abram's vision. And he's changing his name now to Abraham. So he's putting now a word in his mouth. He's not just trying to get him something to believe. He's putting a word in his mouth, a word in his heart and a word in his mouth and a word in his mouth to renew his mind to what God's doing in his heart. So that he will walk around now and say, my name is Abraham. I am the father of many nations. How many kids you got, Abe? None. That's no different than God coming to Noah and said, Noah, build an ark. It's going to rain. Rain? What's rain? It's never rained. Water always came from the earth. What do you mean rain? And he's out there building an ark. How long did it take him to build the ark? 120 years. For 120 years, he's building an ark. And people are coming by. Hey, Abe. I mean, hey, Noah, what are you doing? Building an ark. Why? It's going to rain. Rain? What's that? I don't know, but God said it's going to rain. Who? Who said that? <laughs> Sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. <laughs> you know. But you see, this is what God's done all the time. And people want to think it's a 20th century doctrine. The word of God in your heart and in your mouth, in your heart, in your mouth, in your heart, in your mouth. Oh, that's word of faith. That's a cult. No, that's the Bible in your heart and in your mouth, in your heart and in your mouth. Abraham, in your heart, in your mouth. Get it in your mouth, Abe. Start talking about what I've made you, what I called you to be. Don't look to the past anymore. You're no longer Abram. You're now Abraham. If you want the future to come, you need to call it. Amen. You want wholeness in your life? You need to call it. You want peace in your life? You need to call it. You want health in your life? You need to call it. 
I am the healed. I am the redeemed. And I say so. I say what I am. I say what the Word of God says. I don't say what I see. I don't say what I feel. I say what the Word of God says. He's the one that's made me. He's the one that's called me. He's the one that set the ages with his word. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Verses 9 through 12. And God said further to Abraham. He no longer calls him Abram. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generation as a servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. If they're in the house, they get circumcised. Because what was circumcision a sign of? Separation. It's a sign of separation. It's a separation now between Israel and the world, God's people and the world. It's a covenant of circumcision or a covenant of separation. Not only, listen, not only is it separation in covenant, but it's a separation in the flesh or in the natural realm. Not only are we, when we get born again, where it says we live separate unto God, but he also tells us come out from among them and live separate. Not in a commune, but be different from the world and be a child of God within the world and be separate from the world. Don't think like the world. Don't do like the world. Don't act like the world. Don't be part of the world. Separate. A lot of people want to say, well, you know, I'm born again and that's good enough. And spiritually, I'm saved and I'm separated unto God and I can just live like, no, you can't. God calls us to be separate. That's why the covenant was in the flesh. Amen. Verse uh, 15 and 16. Listen, if you got born again and separated from the world that's going to hell, then you ought to live like who you are. We ought to live like who we are. Now, we don't expect that you're doing that perfectly just like I'm not doing it perfectly but it is my intent to continue to press into that more and more not to go sit down and go it's good enough and I don't need to be separate anymore it's always pressing in for more because the more we press in the more our life increases isn't that right amen 15 and 16 then God said to Abraham As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. It's a lot of kids. So he changes Sarai's name to Sarah, no longer known by the past but now known by the future you're stepping into. 
See, if you want to step into a future, you need to know your future before you even step into it. This is not about, well, let's just see what happens. I don't know. No, you need to know your future before you step into it, because if you don't know it, you can't step into it. And the future is laid out in the Word of God. From sickness to health, from poverty to abundance, from depression to peace, from strife to wholeness. You got to know where you're going or you can never get there. You know, my father, he used to say to my mother, you know, they, they, they want to go someplace. And, and my mother would say, well, where do you want to go? And he'd say, I don't know. Let's just get in the car and drive. Well, where are you going to wind up at, Dad? Wherever. <laughs> A lot of people live like that. They get up every day. Well, let's just go and let's just see what happens. I don't know. Yeah. Ditzy. God didn't call you to a ditzy life. <laughs> Called you to a sober soundness of life. Yes, thank you. Amen. Amen. So why, why did he change Sarah's name to Sarai? And why did he change Abram's name to Abraham? Because God's looking to the future and his plan and his purposes. And they cannot hook up unless they look in the same direction. If you want to hook up with what God's doing, you've got to look in the same direction he's looking. Verse 17 through 19. And you can't know where God's looking without his word. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram's, Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no. <laughs> I can hear him. No. <laughs> but Sarah, your wife, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Verse 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. So Abraham says, he says, no way that I'm going to have a kid in my old age. What is he doing again? Reasoning. He's reasoning. You know, God gave you a reasoning so that you can reason with his word, not against his word. Abraham wants Ishmael to live. God says, nope. The promise is to one that's born to you and Sarah. Of course, the plan is for both of you. And you both have to be on board. Yes. Amen? Amen? Where are we? Okay. So then chapter 18 comes along. Everybody okay? Yes. We're still following good? Yes. So chapter 18 comes along, and God comes along with some angels to visit Abraham and that God and the angels come in bodily form. And I think it's verse one. Is it verse one? Anyway, I'm not sure which one it's at. Anyway, when God speaks to him, he refers to him as Abraham. And he refers to her as Sarah. 
when God says to you, by my stripes you are healed, he'll always refer to you as the healed. He'll never refer to you as the one that's sick. He will always refer to you as the healed. And he wants you to get on board with him and call yourself the same thing. Because God is always future looking. Isn't that right? Amen. Verse 9 through 14. And they said to him, oh, okay. So they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and Sarah was past, way past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Shall I have, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a son when I am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now, the Lord says to Abraham, this time next year, you're going to have a child. God did not just show up out of the blue. Oh, look, all of a sudden, God showed up, and he says, I'm going to. No, this is not out of the blue stuff. God is showing up with a word of suddenly and saying you're going to have a child next year. This is a suddenly, but it's only after 30 years of believing. This is after 30 years of believing and walking, not 30 years of believing, but actually 30 years of walking with the Lord. And after those 30 years, then comes the season of suddenly. See, many want to get a promise from God just out of the blue. Oh, a promise of God. And poof, there it is. That's what everybody wants. Well, if we would poof, suddenly and immediately believe and obey God, then maybe poof, immediately you'd get what he promised. But you ain't poof, believing. And poof, obeying. And if you think you are, get off your proud horse. We all go through the process, and that's why he's called the father of faith. Because this is the process that you go through. Amen. So, after this, the angels left for Sodom. To go down there. And the Lord continues to talk with Abraham. And he talks with Abraham about his plans of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 23, Abraham is speaking to him. He says, Abraham came near and said, will you indeed? This is very important. Something you should never forget. Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You should know this as a reality. Abraham intercedes for the righteous in Sodom. 
verse 24 and 25. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? He starts off with the 50, and he says, will you sweep them both away? This is another reality you must understand, the truth that you have to share with others that think God sends catastrophes on places and wipes everybody out, the righteous as well as the wicked. Oh, that hurricane came and destroyed New Orleans because it's so wicked. Was there no righteous there? Oh, that plane crashed because there was wicked people on that plane. Were there no righteous there? So what does that mean? It means it wasn't God doing it because he's just. He judges all the earth justly. He does not bring upon the righteous that which is to come upon the wicked. Never forget that. Because catastrophes on the earth are not done. And you have a lot of people want to say, oh, it's God's judgment. Oh, God's judgment. Well, listen, yo-yo, judgment belongs and starts in the house of God, so get your little self lined up for it. It just ticks me off. I'm sorry. It really annoys me because people talk about God and they don't know him. I'm not saying that I'm a, you know, professional or whatever, you know, about God. About, but I know some things. And I know he's just. Amen. So Abraham says, if there's 50, would you spare the 50? And then he says, what about if there's 45? And he says, well, what about if there's 40? And he works it all the way down. And he's like, oh, God, just bear with me. Just bear, don't get angry with me, but just bear with me. And he goes all the way down to 10 people. Why? Because God will allow you to intercede as far as you believe you can go. Abraham believed he could go to 10. He could have probably gone to one. But he stopped at 10. And there were not 10 righteous in Sodom. But he did get the righteous out. And who was it? Because chapter 19 talks about how Sodom and Gomorrah gets destroyed. And who was it that got pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah? Who? Lot, Lot, once again, Lot. Now Lot needs a army from heaven to come down and get him out of that city. You know, <laughs> another issue with Lot. All right, chapter 21. I'll get this wrapped up. Chapter 21, verse 5. Now, Abram was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So Isaac's born. He's 100 years old. He left the land of Ur at 70 years old. So 30 years he's walked with God. And his life was full of God, not only in the promise, but he had protection from God. He had help from God. Increase came from God. 
life itself was about God. Isn't that right? The Lord spoke to Abraham from the time he got him to leave Ur. He told him about land and seed, land and seed, land and seed. Isn't that right? And he entered into the land of Canaan, and then God continued to talk to him about this is your land, your, descend your descendants, because you will have seed, and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations, right? The last time God speaks to Abraham about having seed is in chapter 17. Then in chapter 18, he comes and says, okay, this time next year, you will have a child. And then in chapter 21 is the birth. What happened in chapter 17 that God stopped talking to him about having seed? He no longer talked to him about look at the stars, look at the dust. He no longer talked to him about, uh, uh, you know, all the, the multitudes of nations and, and will come from you. And he doesn't talk anymore since chapter 17 about that. Why not? Because it was in chapter 17 when Abraham became fully persuaded. That's what he talks about in Romans chapter 4. He became fully persuaded because at that point, faith came alive on the inside of him. Now, do you think that all this time, 30 years, he wanted land? Do you think he wanted offspring? But wanting it is not faith. Hearing from God is not faith. Very carefully, listen, and we're going to go down this road on these things. Hearing from God is not faith. As we've said before, oh, I heard from God, I got this. You don't have it, the Holy Spirit has it. And because he had it, he spoke it to you, but you don't have it until you make it your own. And you got to make it your own through meditation, through getting it in your heart about having examples, imaginations, getting it all working on the inside of you to where you know that you know and become fully persuaded that what God promised, God's able to perform it. And I don't just mean in theoretical rhetoric. You know, there's so much theoretical rhetoric in the body of Christ that it barely means anything anymore. We don't even know half the time what we're saying. Oh, yeah, I believe God can do it. You don't believe that any more than the man in the moon. I've had people come to me. They, they, they couldn't afford a $40,000 house, and they're going to go look at a $2 million home because you never know what God might do. Oh, I know what he's going to do according to your faith, which you don't have. But we do all this goofy stuff, and it's all theoretical rhetoric. Because it's not from here. It's not life-giving. And if it's not life-giving, it doesn't give anything. Out of my heart comes the forces of life. Are you with me? At the point when Abram became fully persuaded, at that point, now the Lord comes to confirm his word. Okay, now you're ready. You're going to have a child this time next year. Right? So now signs could follow. The Lord no longer needs to speak. He don't have to speak the word. He don't have to have the Holy Spirit speak to develop faith for the promise. But now he could start to direct 
through the word and the Holy Spirit in faith. Because now that you're in faith, now I can direct you. See, we think I get in faith and I'm I'm in faith. I believe this and I'm going to have this and this is what's going to happen. And you're not directed by the Holy Ghost any more than the man in the moon. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get to that hell? How are you going to get to that increase? How are you going to get to that peace? How do you get there? You're not there. How do you get there? Well, I believe it. How do you get there? You need to be directed. And that's where we shut off God. We think, I believe it. That's enough. I got it. You don't got it. You got it here. But it ain't out here. How do you get there? you got to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, I believe, so then now you're ready to be directed in order to get there. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? How much does the Lord need to speak to us until we finally believe? And to believe means with doing, because believe is a verb. Because of what the woman with the issue of blood believed, She was healed. She said, if I could just touch his garment. Why did she believe that she would touch his garment? Why did she believe that? You ever think about that? I mean, what was she going to do? Walk up to him next to him and just drop down on the floor and say, give me that garment. Oh, I got that garment. I mean, why do you think she said, if I just touch his garment, I'd be healed? Because in her thinking, she would come to the Lord and prostrate herself before God in total humility and touch just the edge of his garment. Because it was such an attitude of humility and not the proud arrogance that so many believers have. They think, I got faith, I can do this. You ain't got nothing. Unless it comes from the Lord. Are you with me? So you got to get over that arrogance that goes on so many times and get into that humble attitude. John, in the Isle of Patmos, he turns around to hear the voice speaking to him, and he sees the Lord in his glory. And what's the first thing he does? Falls. Jairus, the synagogue official, in all of his synagogue robes, comes to the Lord. And the Lord is at the seashore where the water's coming up on the shore. And he prostrates himself on the, on the sand where the water's coming up on all of his robes and everything. But he don't care because he is before the Lord and he's asking for his child to be healed. Because he's humble. He don't care. Women with the issue of blood don't care. She's humble. And she never touched his garment and go, I knew that was going to happen. Arrogance. In fact, the Lord made her to speak. She would just go off by herself. Humbly. So needed in the body of Christ today. An attitude of humility. See, humility will open you up to hear from heaven the things that you need, the things that he wants to do, 
humility to do that. Abraham needed a word continually, regularly, with signs to look at, to observe, until he got to the place the way he believed, the way he was fully persuaded and acted by faith. And Abraham's faith came to be fully persuaded, fully assured of God's ability to perform what he had promised. Fully persuaded. Like Bartimaeus was so persuaded, he threw the cloak off and he went to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, so persuaded that she went out in that multitude. So fully, fully persuaded that a Roman centurion, and the Bible said that his servant, I might come heal my servant, but it's also the word for son. And for a Roman centurion, he's not allowed to be married when he's in on active duty. And therefore, it would be an illegitimate son. And Jesus still said, I'll come and heal him. I've not seen such great faith like in all of, e all of Israel. Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. Well, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Yes, sir, but even the dogs look for the crumbs that fall from the table. Humility. Humility. Glory to God. So the questions we leave with ourselves tonight is, am I fully convinced and fully persuaded of what I'm believing? To be fully convinced and persuaded in my spirit and my soul, just like in the area of salvation. Does my persuasion bring about action or does it keep me in an area of waiting? Does it affect my choices and my decisions? My choices and my decisions in line with what I'm fully persuaded of. So many times the answer is no. You know it and I know it. You can fool yourself, but you're not going to fool me and you're not going to fool the Lord. And you certainly don't fool the devil. You've got to be honest with yourself. How many times did you say, I believe, I believe, I believe, but you wouldn't choose it. You wouldn't choose to go in that direction. You got to change those things. Am I fully persuaded that what God promised, God's able to do it so that I can even make the choices? I'm going in that direction. I'm headed in the future. I'm no longer choosing based on the path. I'm headed into that future. It's supposed to bring about action, choices, decisions that I make, the little decisions that I make. So let's set ourselves today. Let's just bow our head for a moment. And let's just set ourselves today. Set ourselves with Abraham, the father of faith. He's our example. And let's just set ourselves to hear and obey. Hear, believe what I hear. And obey and do what I need to do. So many times we want to believe God for what we want, and what we need. But God's wanting you to step up and start believing him for what he wants you to do. Let's say this together. I will be quick to hear. 
even you on live stream, podcast, let's all declare this together. I will be quick to hear. I will be quick to believe. Then I will be quick to renew my mind. I will be quick to act in obedience. That which the truth declares in me, it will come to pass for me and through me. And that truth will touch others because it's alive in me. And therefore, I will be able to share with others that which is spirit and life. Not dead, theological rhetoric, but living truth, living word, living faith. It lives in me because I live it in my choices and in my decisions. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you helped me in this, that it become a reality inside of me, that I'll meditate on it, give myself to it, that the soil will produce crops. And I will have a harvest of that which you have shared with me this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 I tell you, you get a hold of these things, and these are the things that can change your life. Amen. Amen. Starts on the inside, works to the outside. You know, one of the backward things that we've had for a long time is we think if I believe, then that's it. But usually after you believe, you got to renew your mind. Renewing your mind comes after faith. It don't come before faith. Amen. Amen. Glory, glory, glory. Uh, I just want to tell you that there are um, uh, envelopes in a in a box out on the desk, out on the table in the foyer, and it has your tax receipts in it for 2022. They were all in alphabetical order, so um, uh, just look through there for yours and. Um, you know what to do. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. We adore you, Lord. Thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. Wonderful, glorious, and magnificent. You are the majesty on high. Lord, we come before you with great reverence, honor, and humility. Thanking you for the opportunity to sow our seed today to bring our substance before you, to bless you, to honor you with that which you have blessed us with. And we bring it back to you, Lord, with a heart of gratitude. And we thank you, Father, that you've attached promise even to this giving, that it comes back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, that we continue to come back to you with that heart of gratitude and thankfulness and humility and reverence 
and blessing you with that which you've put within our hands. We thank you for it, Father. We bless you and honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord Jesus. I, uh, I, I say I've kept you a little bit late tonight, but I don't think it hurt you. <laughs> Praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you joined us on live stream or on podcast, thanks for being with us tonight. And I do pray that the word of God has touched you and blessed you right where you are, that it's opened up, opened up doors into the future and the things that God wants you to step into, that it starts to show you the path that you walk on, because God will always be with you as you walk on that path and you walk into his ways and his promises, his plans and his purposes. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net and click on the giving link. If there's anything that we can ever pray with you and stand with you about, please let us know. It is always an honor and a privilege to stand with our partners and believe God with you and join hands together with you for your needs to be met. Amen.